0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Odds On podcast, your home of football and sports betting. My name's Dan Tracy and for the next 45 minutes I'm joined by two top guests as we dissect all the numbers, look for the value and find those long shots before this weekend's football action. As I say it's not just me on the show today so before we start waxing lyrical about wagers let's get the introductions out of the way. This week it's a little different as James is on holiday and it means that Jamie is running the channels on his own. So, Jamie, how have you been this past week?
1: Yeah, all good, obviously, apart from being an England fan and, and having to watch that pretty embarrassing performance against Hungary. Um, I've been good otherwise, of course. You know, been an interesting transfer window as well. Of course, Spurs making some really interesting moves. Of course, it looks like Yves Blasuma is going to be coming to the club. Already, Perisic is coming. So, you know, again, it's, you know, transfer windows heating up. But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to moving on from international football. And of course, today we're, we're looking back at the Premier League season. And uh, again, I really can't wait for it to come around because I'm, uh, yeah, a bit bit fed up of watching England at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think everyone's been battered and bruised by England in the what last seven days or so. I mean, you can sort of legislate maybe one bad performance, but we've had four. I don't know if it's just, mm. we kind of referenced this last week, didn't we? The malaise of the Nations League at that, that point of the season. But even with fatigue, Gareth Southgate's men have been rather lacklustre of late, haven't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're just going to, uh, you can just tell now, unfortunately, with the World Cup being moved to Christmas, you just know that England uh, are going to ruin Christmas. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just very difficult to watch, you know, that that football put- at the moment. Of course, I think it's been great the way that he's got us through those tournaments and, uh, you know, to a final of the Euros, the semis of the World Cup. But I think, you know, the style of play at the moment is, is what's really missing. I think there just seems to be kind of no identity to this England team. We keep seeing chopping and changing between formations, between different players. Of course, the squads continue to change. For me, I want to see kind of, a, you know, a set formation, a set style of play. I think that's what's most important. Um, and, and that just seems to be completely missing at the moment. But uh, yeah, I think after yesterday's performance, it does kind of seem there's kind of a point of no return, really. I think, you know, seeing the fans chanting, you don't know what you're doing, I think is, is really quite damning. And I think it was very similar, of course, to what, you know, Spurs fans we experienced earlier last season with Nuno getting booed. You know, it's, when, you, when you've got the fans like that on your back, I think it's it's very difficult to turn it around. And uh, I don't see how he does turn this around, unfortunately.
0: Well, let's ask one more question about England before we focus on the Premier League. Gareth Southgate. Now, the World Cup, as you rightly say, is in November. Do you reckon there's any risk of him not being the manager come the start of the tournament?
1: I, th- I think he will be because, unfortunately, I just think the FA, I, I, I don't think they're a, you know, a group of people that are going to make that change. I think they'll stick with what they've got with Southgate. Of course, he does still have that credit in the bank. I do think you can argue. For me personally, I would love to maybe see a change. But you know, you look at the the kind of the candidates that could come in, and, and maybe some of the favourites. You see the likes of Eddie Howe being linked. Obviously, you know, you wouldn't. I, I'm not sure he wouldn't give up the Newcastle job, or whether he'd come in as a joint thing. I don't think that would happen. Um, you know, Sean Dykes was being tipped as an alternative, maybe Frank Lampard. So you know, the alternatives aren't really there either, which is a bit of an issue. Um, the, the big concern that I do have for Southgate, along with the style of players, is, is just kind of having that know-how of getting over the line. I think that, you know, when we saw in the Euros final, we saw, um, you know, we were, we were clearly the better team for the first 45 minutes, but then Mancini just kind of made the right tactical changes to frustrate England, to frustrate Southgate. And uh, I think it's getting over the line in, in those big moments. And Southgate just doesn't really seem to know how to do that. And uh, that's definitely something that concerns me. But as I said, in terms of will he be there... I think he will be there for the World Cup because I just think there's a lack of alternatives at the moment.
0: Yeah, I make you right on that sense. I think, depending on what he does in Qatar, I don't know if it's semi-final at the minimum and then you have to worry about a new contract, but I think for 2022, he's going to be in charge, but he's not doing a good job before the tournament itself. Anyway, that's all the intros out of the way. Let's get down to business. And of course, before we start, wherever you bet, check ThursdayFreeBets.com, your best place for offers, tips and insights. Okay, where should we start first? Well, this week it's a little different and our betting slips are going to be left blank. And with that in mind, we're going to offer some awards out instead. Awards that come in the Team of the Year, the Player of the Year and a whole lot more. So let's start with our Odds On podcast Team of the Year. With the PFA team already being announced, we're going to use that as the framework and Jamie and I will discuss any changes that we'd like to make. So Jamie, first up, we're going to look between the sticks. Allison won the award from his peers, but will he get the nod from you?
1: Yes, I think this is a really difficult one to call because I think Allison and Edison were definitely the two standout keepers this year. Um, you know, both kept the same amount of clean sheets and obviously they conceded the fewest goals as well. So I, I just think it was so close between those two. Um, but for me, I would say that I would go with Allison as as maybe my choice. I so just think in terms of his performances. Some of the saves that I remember him making this season and just maybe his influence on that team. I just think that he probably just about edges it from Edison. So really close between those two. But I think in terms of all-round package as a goalkeeper, I mean, those two are just outstanding. I think, you know, you look at a lot of keepers and you can maybe criticise areas of their game. You know, Laurie's fantastic shot stopper, but poor with his feet. Um, you know, De Gea, certainly you can have criticisms of him and, and some of his game. But but with these two, Alisson and Edison, you just can't really find too many faults with them. So, yeah, I think those two have been brilliant this year. I'm just going to give it to Alisson in the end. I think Ramsdale was, was maybe another interesting shout. But I think in the last couple of months, he seems to have tailed off a little bit. I mean, he had a fantastic year and, and proved to be a good signing for Arsenal. But um, as I said, just tailed off towards the end. So, uh, yeah, for me, I'm going to go for Alisson for this one.
0: I think, yeah, it's almost a toss-of-the-coin situation between Edison and Alisson. When you look at what they conceded as a team, 26 for City and Liverpool, so that's the same. Edison played 37 matches, Alisson 36. So if you were to pick either, I don't think it's a bad decision. You've got to pick one. So I think Alisson, as you rightly say, just edges it. But really, when you look at those two and the rest, maybe honourable mentions to Hugo Lloris in the second half of the season, Ramsdale as well. But, Jamie, is it fair to say that the two Brazilian goalkeepers are kind of a class apart from everyone else?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, as I said, it just kind of seems like they're all-round game. There's no real faults to them. Um, And as you said, I mean, look, Brazil obviously got a really difficult choice there in picking their number one. Um, They do as well seem to be kind of leaning towards Alisson as that number one choice. So, you know, maybe that does say a lot, but... As I said, you know very little faults between these two and um, you know keepers can produce some some very big moments. I know a lot of them are very underrated i mean for me, Allison, I would say probably was was maybe. Uh, you know, difficult to not see him get nominated to be player of the year. I think some of his performances have been outstanding. And, you know, to concede only 26 goals, I think, is a really good achievement. You know, to keep the number of clean sheets that he did as well was, was really impressive. So, yeah, they, they, the keepers never really get quite the, uh, you know, the, the praise that they deserve. But for Allison and Edison, I mean, these are two outstanding goalkeepers for sure.
0: OK, that's the goalkeeper sorted. Let's now focus on the defence. First up, we have Trent Alexander-Arnold and Jair Cancelo. Now Jamie, do you have any other suggestions for our fallbacks?
1: Um, I, I'd say no. I think that these two were just the two outstanding shout, uh, you know, just outstanding players this year. I think Trent was back to kind of his best. I think last year or the year before he did maybe have a difficult year and obviously lots of criticism of him. But for me, I think he was outstanding this year and, and showed again, you know, the growing influence of fullbacks in in the modern game. And you know, you see the way they're able to create chances. Of course, he was second highest for assists this season with 12, which is really incredible. Um, he created the second-most chance in the league, which, which again, for a full is just incredible. Produced the second-most crosses. So, you know, a guy who was, just had such a great influence going forward in, in Trent. He's been brilliant. And then uh, Chancelo as well, of course, he's been maybe moved over to the other side. I think that that's, you know, that, that's been something that has been really impressive. Of course, he naturally is a, a right-sided player, but to go and fit in on the left side as well, equally as comfortably, is is something that's really impressive as well. So, you know, he had the 12th most attempts in the league, which for a full-back is, is, is really impressive as well. So, you know, those two attacking-wise and, and even defensively have been really good. I know lots of criticisms of Trent defensively, but if you look at some of his stats, they're actually still really impressive. So I think that he's, he's criticised a lot for that, but I think, you know, harshly so. Um, but for me, uh, these two are certainly the, the standout fullbacks in the league, in, in, if not Europe.
0: Yeah, I can't argue with that at all, really. I mean you look at Trent Alexander-Arnold and the criticism that comes with it, I guess that's by his own very, very high standards that if things have slightly dropped off, then I guess there's kind of crisis in the sense that, oh, why well, is not hitting that same level? But people forget it's a very high level. And as for Yalconcello, as you say, switched over to the other side, makes it even more impressive for what he'd done. I know he scored a couple of great goals, one against Newcastle, I remember, in that 4-0 win for City at St James's, Just kind of shows his all-round game. If we were going to be really critical, I think sometimes with, you know, best 11s, you might want to have perfect positions. So if you were going to say that Yael Cancelo actually is a right back and we can't have two right backs, you'd have to look for a left back. So Andy Robertson. But I think in doing that, it would be incredibly harsh on Yael Cancelo not to be in the team of the season. So that's two of the defensive four. Let's move on to our centre-back pairing now. The award for the PFA went to Virgil van Dijk and Antonio Rudiger. So that meant there was no place for Eimrich Laporte. Would you make any changes, Jamie, as far as our odds on 11 is concerned?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I agree with obviously the fullbacks and the goalkeeper, but I think this is where I'd maybe look to make some changes. I think Van Dijk, for me, has to be in it. I think he's had an incredible season, you know, keeping 21 clean sheets um, in, in, in the games that he played. So, of course, he makes it in. But for me, I'm actually going to partner him up uh, with his Liverpool teammate, Joel Matip. I oh, think wow. he had a really good season for Liverpool. Um, and uh, although... Van Dijk always seems to get all the plaudits for, for kind of Liverpool being so good in defence. I think that Matip had a really good season this year and, and was also really crucial for them. Um, you know, they only conceded uh, 21 goals in the 31 appearances he made. Uh, he kept 17 clean sheets whilst he was on the pitch. Um, you know, you, and then you could you look at Rudiger, of course, who, who's maybe the player that I'd look to rep, uh, that I'm replacing him with. You know, you conceded 27 goals in the 34 appearances, so slightly more goals conceded there. He kept less clean sheets, and you know, Matip had a you know tackle success rate of, of 72% compared to Rudiger's 58. So you know, statistically, I think he you know he, he probably did just edge it over Rudiger, uh, Matip. But yeah, I'm going to go for Matip. I think he had a really good influence this season on on Liverpool's season. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go for Joel Matip and Van Dijk for this
0: one. Great picks. In terms of Rüdiger, though, do you reckon this is to do with the timing of when the votes were in? Because I'm sure that the votes mm. are, what, February, March, yeah. and then that's when it all started to go a bit bonkers at Chelsea, didn't it? So I think that Rüdiger's decline came once the sanctions kicked in, so on and mm. so forth. So if you look at the whole season, you probably would say, why is Rüdiger in there? But if he throws it at February, there's arguably a stronger case.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of the the silly thing about the PFA, as you say, that they vote so early, and of course, you know, as, as we go further up the pitch, we're obviously getting to some of the attackers that did miss out course, over the course of the season, but yeah, I, th- I think Rudiger did start off really well, and Chelsea kind of looked like they were going to be real title challengers this year. And and for me, Rudiger, I would argue, probably has been Chelsea's best player, and, and maybe consistently across the whole season. But you know, you look at the way they did drop off. Of course, they had some really disastrous performances. We of course remember that heavy defeat against Brentford at home. You know, and they've had some really poor results. So. I think Liverpool were a more consistent side and, and, and just, you know, Matip's influence on that team. That's why I would just get him in there ahead of Rudiger. But yeah, I mean, Rudiger had a really good season. I, and I'm I'm really interested to see kind of how he does get on at Real Madrid because for me, I mean, I look at when he was playing in maybe a back two um, at uh, Chelsea, um, you know, he, he was, I think he was linked with a move away from Chelsea before Tuchel arrived. And then Tuchel comes in, moves a back three, and he just seems to fit that better. So, you know, he's going to go to Real Madrid. I don't think he's going to play in that back three. So I'm interested to see how he gets on in a back two because, you know, um, previously he had struggled in that. And, you know, Chelsea, as I said, were even looking to offload him. So i um, interested to see how he gets on at Real Madrid. But no, I mean, this year he was, he was really good for sure.
0: Let's have a few honourable mentions in terms of centre-back. I think Arnwick Laporte has got a right to be a bit miffed not making that 11, but mm. not quite there. Also, you could argue Ruben Diaz had a good season, but Mm. fitness issues perhaps let him down. And I think also you could say the same about Christian Romero. Had he been fit all season, he would have been knocking on the door. Because when he was fit, he was incredible for Tottenham, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, I mean, he uh, honestly, he has been a fantastic signing for Spurs. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that Juventus let him go. I mean, especially look at, obviously, losing Ciellini, um this season. So, you know, they, they really could have done with a centre, central defender like Romero. And he's just been fantastic. He just seems to have fit in into the, per, uh, the Premier League perfectly. I think the big thing will be is, you know, hopefully being able to have a proper pre-season this year. Of course, with the Copper America last year, um, you know, he was, he was very late coming back into the team at Spurs, of course, made that move, um, you know, to make that transfer as well. So obviously that's a difficult transition. But this year he's, of course, fully settled in, the, you know, in England now. Um, he's going to have that opportunity of pre-season. So I just hope that if he can stay fit, I, I really believe he's going to be one of the, the top central defenders in the Premier League next year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's been a fantastic sign of the Spurs and I'm really looking forward to seeing him next season.
0: Well, who knows? In 12 months' time, when we're handing out more awards, it might be Romero who makes our centre-back line-up. But let's move on to midfield now because for the PFA, it was Kevin De Bruyne, Thiago and Bernardo Silva. Jamie, would that be your midfield three as far as players of the season are concerned?
1: Yeah, I'm going to make a couple of changes to okay. the midfield. Um, so, actually, my number one midfield choice is going to be Rodri. Um, I thought he was absolutely superb this year. And, again, a massive reason why Man City were so good and kind of so consistent. I just think his influence on the team was, was uh, you know, was huge. I mean, again, you know, you know defensive midfielders like Rodri, they never really seem to quite get the praise that they deserve. But... I mean, he was he was just fantastic in that midfield. And, and, you know, there was a couple of times when he was missing and, and they did seem to struggle. But now Rodriguez, I think he had a fantastic year. You could argue that he was potentially City's best player of the season. I think Gary Neville was was saying that as well earlier this year as well. I mean, he he's definitely in that midfield for me. Uh, he even managed seven goals as well, which was quite impressive for the position that he plays in. Kevin De Bruyne, I think as well. You know, he he's definitely got to be in there. I think he again another guy who maybe didn't have quite the influence he usually does in terms of assists, but I mean he had another very a very good year. Um, I think he got 15 goals as well, which was which was really impressive. Um, and the other interesting shout I'm going to go for is I'm going to go for Declan Rice. I know maybe in terms of um, again his influence on on the actual team and, and kind of what West Ham achieved this year because I think they did drop off a little bit, but I think he is the best player outside of the top six and I think a lot of his performances this season really showed that. So, for me, I think given the team that he was playing in, uh, I'm going to go for Declan Rice, actually, because honestly, I really think that's an exceptional player and a guy who's, you know, kind of got it all, really. I think a lot of people kind of see him as a an out-and-out defensive midfielder, but I think if you look at his overall game, his ability to kind of bring the ball forward and be, a, you know, even an attacking player, I think he's he's a fantastic midfielder and, uh he's got a very big future ahead of him, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Declan Rice and his positional ability. I remember the game against Kidderminster in the FA Cup when really he played as an yeah. eight off the bench. He kind of dragged yeah. West Ham to victory that afternoon. It kind of shows that there is that element to his game that we kind of look at him as a defensive midfielder. Obviously, he played at centre-back to start with. So he's coming sort of further and further up the pitch. Do you, would you see him as a number eight in, say, a few years' time? Um,
1: p- potentially, but I, I think you're right there. I just think that he's he's got so much more to his game than just being kind of a defensive midfielder. I think I think that Kidderminster game was definitely one that that stood out for me. I know it's only you know against non-league opposition, but if you look at kind of you know the situation that West Ham found themselves in to kind of have that real influence to come off the bench and you know come into a difficult situation and and uh, you know to be able to produce a performance like that, I think that just says everything about how good that guy is. And then. You know, there was many times this season where, you know, he showed an ability to be able to carry the ball forward. So, as I said, he's got so much more to his game than being just a defensive midfielder. And, um, you know, again, over the next couple of years, I I'm, I'm definitely think we'll, we'll start to see that influence. But, you know, he's, he's another big player for England as well. You know, hopefully, um, you know, the manager whoever's in charge can uh, get the best out of him. But, uh, yeah, he, he is, for me, the best player outside the top six.
0: So let's recap your midfield three then. You've got Rodri, Kevin De Bruyne and Declan mm. Rice. Very solid shouts there. The only thing I would ask is, would that be enough to win a football match? Would there be enough balance between, let's say, defensive midfielders and attacking midfielders? Mm. Have, you, have you picked the best three, but not perhaps thought about would they work in a team? What do you yeah. reckon there?
1: Yeah, but potentially. Um, I think Bernardo Silva is, is another very good player that I potentially have in there over Declan Rice at the moment. I think that that, obviously, that would, of course, complete the Man City trio. Um, and of course, we have seen that work incredibly well this season. Um, but as I said, I think Rice has, has shown that he's, uh, again, you know, he's shown that he's more than a defensive midfielder and, and can potentially play in that number eight role. Kevin De Bruyne has shown that he can work really well in a midfield three. Rodri is exactly the same. So I, th- I think potentially, but um, you know, maybe if you were looking to kind of win a football match or, or you know wanting to field a team, you could potentially pr- replace uh, Bernardo. You know, put Bernardo in there for Rice.
0: Yeah, I'm just being picky, really. I think certainly away from home, that's three points. You might want a little bit more in front of your own fans. Maybe the fans would demand that, but there's no doubt about that. Three excellent picks. That sets up. Three more picks to come. That's the attack. Now, this is arguably going to be the most contentious section of all. Because, Jamie, without even the Tottenham bias in play here, let's take our Tottenham hats off for a little bit. Mm. Surely, Human Min Song did enough to make the start mm-hmm. of 11 of our Premier League team for the season.
1: Uh, I think it's just crazy that he didn't even, you know, he obviously didn't get invited for the nominees for the player of the season and then to not even get in the team of the season, I just think it's quite incredible. Obviously, it will have something to do in terms of, you know, when the voting took place. But even so, I just think his influence on that Spurs side this year has been incredible. He's a guy who's always seemed to step up for Spurs. Um, you know, when, we, when we've needed him most. And I just think kind of being able to do that as a player to kind of, you know, when your team's not performing and, and have that ability to, to step up in those big moments when your team needs you most is is something that's really crucial. I mean, look, you look at Salah and Mane, they, they're in a fantastic team there. And obviously they've got other players who could step up. But for Spurs, you know, Son is always often the guy that, that has to have all the pressure on him so I think even even more so that's impressive but you know to score what was it 23 I think it was 23 goals or so you know without scoring a penalty as well is, is something that's really really impressive so I mean he, he's got to be in it but um, yeah and I'm also going to go fully Tottenham biased as well and I'm, I'm actually going to throw Harry Kane in the mix um, I, I really genuinely believe he deserves you know his, his, his second half of the season performances for me merit him being in that team as well of course if you look at who else made it into the pfa team of the years of course Mane, who i think has had a fantastic season cristiano ronaldo i think is the, is the guy that i'd look to maybe replace um you know or harry kane to come in for um for him of course if you compare the two of course ronaldo he did get one more goal than uh, than harry kane but kane got nine assists to, to ronaldo's three so you know, for for Kane again, for Spurs, I think that the big thing is that Spurs kind of achieved what they were looking to uh, to do this season in terms of getting into the top four. Man United, they had a really difficult season. So, you know, in terms of actual influences, I mean, Son and Kane have, have been fantastic this year in, in helping Spurs get into that top four. Um, so for me, that's, that's why I'm going to go for a, an attack of, of Son, Salah and Kane. Again, you know, Salah, he had an amazing season. He did drop off towards the end a little bit. And and you know maybe could have had a bit more of an influence in helping Liverpool get over the line, but um, even so, I mean he was he's been fantastic throughout the course of this season. So I'm going to go for an attacking three, maybe a slightly biased attacking three of uh, Sun, Salah, and Kane.
0: Good shouts. I mean, in terms of Sun, maybe the Rudiger theory has gone against Sun as well. That when you look at Sun's goalscoring exploits across the season, it only really kind of turbocharged from say March onwards. So again, timing was not on his side, but. Logically, from a season-long point of view, you'd have to be, well, not a football fan to somehow not pick Hume Min Song in your team because his performances, as you say, Jamie, 23 goals without a penalty, you shouldn't forget, it's nothing short of sensational. You know, you can get 23 goals in a season with half a dozen penalties, that's absolutely fine, but no penalties. And I know people were saying, well, if Tottenham were wrapped up for fourth and maybe they had the opportunity for Hume Song to get the golden boot, would Kane give Son a penalty? you think, actually, do you know what? I'd rather he didn't because you don't want that kind of record being tarnished yeah. by having one penalty at the end. The fact he got half the golden boot or, you know, his own version of it with no penalties is just amazing really. So yes, the Tottenham hat has gone on very quickly, but now it comes off because we need to go on to Liverpool forwards because we mentioned Mo Salah and Sadio Mane just a moment ago. They're both out of contract at the end of twenty twenty three. Mm. So what scenario do you see for the pair of African forwards? Will they leave yeah. this summer? Will they leave on a free or will they be sold mm. beforehand?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a very difficult one with with Salah. I mean, I I, I do feel with Salah, I think you'll end up signing a new contract. I can see that. Um, I think the big thing for Liverpool is obviously they've got this thing with not breaking their wage structure. And I do think that's a good way of operating, especially when you're as good at recruiting as they are. Of course, they do seem to have already replaced um, Mane with with, uh, an amazing replacement in Luis Diaz. So, you know, again, you know, they haven't had to break their wage structure and they've gotten a guy who's equally as good as, as Sadio Mane, in my opinion. So they've done very well there. But it'll be interesting to see what they do with Salah because I think that that's one you can't really replace. I just think he is that good. I, I just don't see who they're going to be able to bring into that team who's going to have the same influence. So, you know, they're going to have a very tri- a tricky decision there. In And do they go and break that wage structure to to, to keep Salah? For me, I think, they've got, I think they've got to do that because I think he's just so good. And, and uh, as I said, I think Salah will end up staying um, and, and you can see Mane potentially leave, or, or definitely leaving for, for Bayern Munich this, this, uh, this summer.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of stick or twist on both fronts for Liverpool. I think if you had to lose one and it's a really difficult decision, Salah and Mane is probably the one you would ship off. You know, it's not because he's a bad player at all, but say the budget has to go elsewhere to keep Salah. You may feel for the greater good that the Egyptian stays. Obviously, Darwin Nunes has come in, so that allows Liverpool to slightly revitalize their front line. Luis Diaz has future-proofed any Male departure, so that's kind of the evolution's happening already. So mm. I think you're right, Jamie, in the sense that Salah will put pen to paper. There's been a bit of dalliance over whether he will or not, but I think he's revered at Liverpool. Why kind of move on? They're at their absolute best, really, aren't they? So. <laughs>
1: yeah it 's a tricky one as well, because I think there's been also uh, many kind of situations in the past where it looks obvious to give him the contract he wants or a player the contract that he wants. but sometimes it can be very difficult because you find yourself in a situation where you give a Bamiang three hundred and fifty grand a week and you 're paying a lot of money to a player who you know perhaps then doesn 't start producing the performances that you want him to and, and then you 're really stuck with him and and uh, you know we saw the difficulties Real Madrid have in trying to get rid of Gareth Bale. Um, obviously, uh, Arsenal having to pay off for Bamiyang as well. So, you know, it's a very difficult kind of situation to find yourself in. Do you break that wage structure? So you've got to really kind of weigh up the risks. And uh, I, I'm so interested to see what Liverpool do with that one. I mean, the, 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 I don't think it's a guarantee that they're going to offer him that because, you know, they have been really reluctant. It's just whether they look and see if they can find someone who they can replace him with. But as I said, just that influence that he has, it's going to be so difficult to replace him if they, if they do lose him for nothing.
0: Okay, let's move on to the Player of the Season next, and with Mo Salah scooping the PFA and FWA Player of the Year double, can you look past him when we're handing out our own awards?
1: I'm I'm going to go for Son. I, re, I really genuinely believe he was the best player this season. Again, you know, you look at that, you know, the goals that he scored and scoring 23 without a penalty. I just think that is genuinely a fantastic achievement, especially for you know someone who's who's perhaps not a, an out-and-out number nine. You'd obviously it always seems to go to kind of those, the top strikers in the league. And and maybe you could argue that Son, you know, now in modern day football, you know, those, those forwards are basically strikers. But for me, I think what he's done this season in terms of no penalty goals, 23 goals, um, just a fantastic achievement and obviously help Spurs. Um, I keep mentioning it as well, you know, about Spurs getting into that top four. You know, that's what they were looking to achieve. He's playing in a lesser team than maybe Mohamed Salah is. Um, and and his influence to help Spurs achieve what they were looking to is 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 the reason I'm going to go for for min Song.
0: Yeah, I can see the logic there. I guess if you are looking at Mo Salah, it's kind of a great season, but it's almost what he, he is expected to do. Like you kind of yes, you won the FA Cup, yes you won the League Cup, you pushed City really close in the Premier League, you finished second in the Champions League as the runners up to Real Madrid. But you're kind of expecting Salah to do that kind of stuff anyway. Whereas Heung-Min Song has arguably found a new level to his game and it's kind of not the season that people would have expected him to have at the start of the previous campaign. Then you sort of see what he's done and I think that kind of stands out even more as to Salah just having another very good season. So there's obviously two schools of thought here. I don't think either is incorrect. It's just down to personal preference, really. So for our award, we're going to give it to Hume Min Song. It may give some controversy, but that's what we're about. So... Let's move on very quickly. Let's go now to, actually, let's hand out some second and third place awards in this category. So let's obviously put Sun at the top of our standings, but let's not forget some other players. So if you were handing out second and third, Jamie, where would they go?
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, looks. I definitely can't overlook Salah no. again. So second place for Salah, for sure. I mean, again, to win the Golden Boot and to win the yeah. you know the Playmaker uh, Award is, is just a fantastic achievement. Of course, you know, we saw Harry Kane do it last year. I wasn't sure whether you know many too many players would do it again, but Salah he's gone and done it the following year. It's a fantastic achievement, and again he's you know he has had a, an amazing season, even though he did drop off a bit towards the end. Um, so yeah, second place for Salah, and and third place for me, I'm going to give it to De Bruyne. I think just over Rodri. I said Rodri was was amazing this year, but I think De Bruyne to have you know he scored 15 goals. You know, like Son, none of them were penalties. Uh, He also got eight assists as well. So not not maybe his his best season in terms of assists, but, you know, to have 23, um, you know, goals and assists, I think is a fantastic achievement. Of course, helped City to to win the league. You know, massive influence on that team. You know, created more more chances per 90 minutes than any other player. You know, for me, he's probably the best midfielder in Europe. So uh, I'm going to go for De Bruyne as my third choice.
0: Yeah, you mentioned De Bruyne. I mean, what, 15 goals, eight assists, and that's not a classic De Bruyne season. This is below par. Mm. And they are still very, very good numbers. And I think to do that and still be leading Man City to a title charge and helping them get over the line, that shouldn't be ignored at all. So I think that's a very good shout for third. But next up, let's go to Manager of the season, Jamie. I guess the criteria is always a little bit more flexible here. You can always look at the top of the table or someone who's done ones at the bottom. So mm. with this in mind, are you going down the Pep Guardiola or Jürgen Klopp route or are you looking further down?
1: Yeah, look, I'm going to go for quite an interesting one. So I think on this ward, you kind of base it on you know what the manager is working with compared to what they actually achieved. And of course, you know Pep Guardiola and, and Klopp, they did fantastically well this year, but you know they've got two outstanding squads. I don't think you take anything away from that, but um, yeah, I'm going to look elsewhere for this one and I'm going to go for Eddie Howe for this one. Um, I just think what he did with that Newcastle team, yes, of course, they had money to spend in January, but I think to kind of, you know, where he, where he took over, of course, when they when, when he took charge, they were 19th in the table, there were five points adrift uh, after 11 matches you know, and they finished the season, I think, just outside the, the top half. You know, there were two points off a top half finish, which I just think was a fantastic achievement for a team that looked almost destined to go down. You know, they got the recruitment spot. You know, again, I said, they have money to spend in January, but they got it spot on, you know, in terms of that recruitment. And they didn't go for, you know, obviously everyone was going for the the likes of Haaland and Bappe that would come in, but they were really sensible with some of their transfers. And they brought in players that would, you know, get them to the level that they wanted to be at again in terms of being able to start pushing up the table. And Trippier, Bruno Gomes, Dan Byrne were all fantastic signings. So they got the recruitment spot on. Um, and they started playing with a, you know, a sense of identity as well I think that, that was the big thing Newcastle were, fans were obviously very critical of the way they played under Steve Bruce but again he kind of brought in a real identity and you know that final home game of the season against Arsenal you really saw what the fans kind of thought of um, the season they'd had it was a really, real party atmosphere um, and it was a fantastic achievement to take them from 19th to almost finishing the top half is an is, uh, unbelievable achievement so I'm going to go for Eddie Howe as my manager of the season
0: do you know what? I was going to go for Eddie Howe as well for pretty much every reason that you listed. I mean, I think the only thing that went against him is the sense that because he had the money, people looked down on him and said, "Oh, mm. well, it wasn't quite the yeah. the Herculean task it should have been of getting a team from what the bottom out to nearly the top half." But you still got to get that job done, and it doesn't matter wow. if you've got ninety million or so. You have, mm. As you say, Jamie, you have to spend it wisely. T- mm. Clubs in the past higher up the chain have spent money badly, so to do what he did with. The resources he had, you know, he still has to do it properly and he did a great job. But I think there's a bit of snobbishness because of Newcastle's takeover. And, uh, you know, well, of course, that's what was going to happen anyway. But I think that does, anyhow, a massive disservice. But if anyhow is our agreed choice, are there any honourable mentions on this mm. front? Who else deserves praise from a management point of view?
1: Um, I think, again, I've, I've firmly got my Tottenham hat on here. I'm going to go for Antonio Conte. Um, it's definitely an honourable shout I think it's very fair to say yeah, yeah. as well because, of course, you know, to to take Tottenham from a side who were, um, I mean, it was a horrible position. I remember walking out of the game against Manchester United um, after that game and it was just like, oh my goodness, we're in a horrible place right now. Um, and so to kind of go from there after, you know, I think it was early, early November he took charge in a really difficult position. I think Spurs were quite away off the top four. So to kind of get this team over the line, I think it was an amazing achievement. And of course, even for himself, you know, he's he's achieved some fantastic things in his career. Obviously, winning Inter Milan's first Scudetto title in ten years, winning the title with Chelsea, so doing very well in the Italy job. But I think to to kind of take that Tottenham team into fourth place was even for him was an amazing achievement. So he's definitely a, another honourable shout. And Thomas Frank as well. I think uh, I think we'll we'll get onto Brentford a little bit later on in the show. Um, Maybe for another award, but I mean, he did a fantastic job as well to kind of, you know, their first season back up in the top flight and to finish 13th or so, I think was a very good achievement as well.
0: Yeah, great shouts. I'll add Graham Potter to the mix. I think getting Brighton to a top half finish shouldn't be overlooked. Whether he's the next England manager, we don't know, but I think Brighton are certainly going in the right direction continually. They've not quite cracked their goal scoring code yet, but I think the football they're playing is very easy on the eye and they're doing positive things on the South Coast. So let's not forget Graham Potter. Okay, next one, certainly open to interpretation. And that award is the biggest achievement of the season. So, Jamie, who is worthy of this one?
1: Mm. Yeah, I've I've gone for a little interesting one here. um, Or or certainly one as maybe an honourable shout uh, before I get into my actual award. I've gone for Palace taking four points off Man City this season. Nice. Uh, Of course, we saw them get a goalless draw, um, at Selhurst Park and they obviously won 2-0 at the Etihad. Of course, you know, Patrick Vieira's done a very good job there uh, this year. have got a good young team there. So I'll be interested to see if they can get the recruitment right this year and over this, or certainly in the summer. Um, be interested to see how they get on this year. So that's my honourable shout. But as I said earlier, uh, with, with Thomas Frank getting my award, was an honourable mention for manager of the year. I'm going to go for Brentford finishing 13th. I think, you know, they were a side that I think a lot of people kind of maybe expected them to go down. And of course, it was their first top flight campaign in, in 70 plus years. Um, so to kind of, um, and again, you know, I think you look at that group of players that Thomas Frank had, I, I, I wasn't quite sure it was a, a group that was going to stay up. So to kind of finish 13th, just off again, just off the top half as well, I think was was an amazing achievement. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go for Brentford finishing 13th as uh, my uh, achievement of the season.
0: That neatly leads into my one then, because I'm going to mention Christian Eriksen's return. Obviously, a fantastic fairy tale just for him to be, well, without being flippant, alive, really. But for him to be playing Premier League football is fantastic. For him to be playing Premier League football really well is even better the fact that now he could be on the move to Manchester United or Tottenham just shows that he's not just make up the numbers or just happy to be here. He's still a very talented footballer. And I just think the culmination of the, what the 12 months that we have had since that incident at the European Championships and the ending we've now got is just a fascinating story. It's been fantastic for Eriksen to return. I think for me and I think for everyone, it'd be hard not to give him an award of this kind. So Christian Eriksen, congratulations. You won an award there. Now, Jamie, along the same lines, what would you say is the biggest disappointment of the 2021-22 Premier League season? Who is worthy of this perhaps unwanted accolade?
1: Yeah, I I think it's an interesting one. For me, I think there is a real standout candidate um, in in kind of what club it was. I think Chelsea maybe is an honourable shout for this one. I think everyone kind of expected them. Certainly I did as well. I think, uh, again, even more so after the first couple of games. Um, to to really challenge for that title. But, you know, they're well off it in the end. But I think that the real standout candidate here has got to be Manchester United. Um, I think to have the transfer window they did... um, was, you know, they looked like they were a side that were destined to really go and challenge for for that, uh, you know, the title. Um, but, I mean, again, they were just so poor this year. And to finish sixth, just about scraping into the, um, you know, Europa League as well. Um, I, I, again, you know, they finished second last year. And to make the improvements they did over the summer was, was really incredible. And, of course, it was their worst ever Premier League finish. To finish sixth on 58 points and 35 points off the top. Uh, for a team that certainly looked like they were going to challenge this year, I think that that has uh, got to be a massive disappointment for them.
0: Yes, I think Man United near the top of the list, if not at the very top. But what about Arsenal? Now, you could argue that at the start of the season, finishing fifth is about par, about kind of what you would expect. And if you were off that at the very beginning, you'd take it. However, those kind of targets are quite fluid. And if you're in the top four with one hand on a return to the Champions League, To not get into the Champions League must be a big disappointment at the same time. And of course, we shouldn't forget our good friends Everton, because although they did stay up eventually, they had a terrible season. For all the money they've spent, not just last season, but across Fahad Mashiri's reign of almost terror. What is it, £500 Now he wants to sell the club. It's not looking good for the Merseyside men going into next season. It's been a real disappointment on that front. So although they have stayed up and we have given Everton a bit of a, a kicking over the last, what, 20 episodes... I guess they'll be happy with survival, but it's not great at Goodison Park. But let's move into the transfer market now and focus on our best signing of the season. Jamie, who paid off their transfer fee and more in 21-22?
1: Yeah, well, I'm gonna go for an interesting one for this one. I'm gonna highlight three from, from January as well. I think that these were probably, the, the definitely the standout ones. Um, the first one I think is Luis Diaz again I mentioned him earlier he's been an incredible piece of business from Liverpool um, he's going to come in straight away and, and be able to replace Sadio Mane allows him to be able to leave um, and obviously be sold which is important with you know, as you mentioned his contract up next season um, so for me Diaz was was definitely up there I think Kulisevsky as well was, was another big shout in terms of signing of the season another massive influence in Spurs achieving their target of getting into that top four and without him I'm almost certain that Spurs would not have been in that that top four. I think, you know, the way he's come in and obviously 22 years, you know, he's only just turned 22. So, you know, a massive player for the future for Spurs. And, and we really got him for, oh, it's like £30 million pounds as well. So a, a real bargain there. But I'm going to go for an interesting one here in terms of my signing of the season. And it was a free transfer. And I know we're going to talk about free transfers in a minute, but... I think it was Christian Eriksen as, as signing of the season. Again, his influence was just unbelievable. I mean, Brentford, they won seven of the 11 matches which he appeared in, which is, especially if you consider, you know, before that, they'd lost eight games um, in their last 10 before he came into the team, which was quite incredible. They, they were in a really difficult position. They were just one point above the bottom, bottom three before he came into the team. So, I think he completely utterly transformed them and I think without him I think Brentford probably would have gone down to be honest with you so although obviously I did did give them a lot of credit for the job they did this year in finishing 13th I think Ericsson played an absolutely massive part in that.
0: I think they're great shouts, and the fact they are all January signings just highlights how good they really were I mean if they were back in August and they did what they did, then you'd think, OK, well, that makes perfect sense. But for them to have such an impact at such a pivotal moment of the campaign for three respective reasons, I think they're great shouts and it almost kind of overlooks anything that was done at the start of the summer. You know, you look at Jack Grealish, £100 million. Yes, you could argue that it's a bit expensive, but he played a part in helping Man City win the Premier League. But did he have as much impact as the likes of a, as a Diaz or a Argue Arguably not. So, you know, it's all about different criteria and it's never quite an easy concept of, you know, that's the most value. It's always your own interpretation, but I think you're right, Jamie, in the sense that January business has been much better than what we saw in the summer. Then again, let's hand out some honourable mentions this time around. Perhaps a free transfer. What did the business for you?
1: Yeah, I think obviously Ericsson was, as I mentioned, he was obviously an amazing piece of business to to get him for free. And, uh, you know, I'd love to see him back at Spurs this year. Um, I mean, obviously linked with Manchester United as well, so it'll be interesting to kind of um, see who, 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 which team he picks. But yeah, I mean, in terms of free transfers, I think it's got to be Christian Eriksen was was certainly the stand-up candidate. Um, I mean, in, just in terms of general other transfers as well. I mean, the, I think the big one as well was Bruno Guimaraes at, at uh, Newcastle, yes. of course. Maybe obviously not a free transfer, but you know, maybe an honourable mention for another top transfer. I mean, he was, I think, you know. It, Going forward, he's going to be unbelievable. I just remember watching him. Obviously, a game that stands up very much for me was the 2-0 win over Arsenal. I thought he was like unbelievable in that game. So, uh, I mean, Newcastle have certainly got an incredible player there in Bruno Gomeric.
0: OK, if we're handing out awards for good signings, we may as well get one ready for the flops as well. Jamie, the big question here is whether you can look past Romelu Lukaku's return to Stamford Bridge.
1: I don't. Th- I don't think you can. To be honest, I mean, look, the money they spent on him was was unbelievable. Um, obviously, to get eight goals in twenty six games is is really poor. You know, he lost his place in the team, didn't he? Obviously, there was a long period where Havertz was was getting picked over him. I think he was just a really poor fit for Chelsea. Um, he just didn't. You know, they obviously, wanted to sign that that centre forward, but he just didn't seem to fit into Tuchel's system really. Um, and it's, it's just incredible that two Premier League clubs have now spent over £75 million on him and, you know, he's twice been able to flop. And again, this is why I'm kind of looking at this Haaland transfer and a lot of people are going absolutely crazy about it. But I'm very interested to see how he does fit into that um, Pep Guardiola system. So for me, I'm, I'm certainly not as sure about that, that Haaland's going to be the the roaring success that everyone's saying he's going to be because you only have to look at Lukaku and, and see, you know, Just didn't seem to fit, although it looked guaranteed goals, just didn't fit. And uh, again, obviously, they're looking like they're trying to offload him, but you know, they're not certainly not going to get anywhere near that £100 million fee which they pay for him. So, has to be Lukaku.
0: Well, let's stay on the topic of the Belgian. Do you think he'll still be in Chelsea colours by the time the summer transfer window comes to a close?
1: I think they're going to be creative and they will get him out the door. Obviously, it does look as though Inter are the strongest team and obviously they're in a very difficult financial position. So, you know, it's going to be difficult to see that move happening. But as I said, I think they'll kind of be creative about it in terms of working around Inter's finances to kind of send him back there. He's just not a player that you'd want around the dressing room. He's not going to be playing very much next season. I don't hold any hope for him eventually coming good. So, I think we'll we'll see him definitely moved on. And I think there were some reports in Italy last night, I think it was Sky, uh, Sky Sports in, in Italy, that were saying that uh, you know that there was kind of a bit of confidence from Inter's side that they could get that deal done. Of course, they are looking at Dybala as well, Inter. But uh, I, I, as I said, I think they'll be creative in getting him out the door. And, and they just have to, because you don't want an influence like that in the dressing room who's not playing, not in the team, uh, doesn't want to be there. So uh, I think he will move on.
0: Of course, Lukaku is the most high-profile transfer flop of the season. But are there any more players that we should be highlighting in this particular category?
1: Mm. Um, potential. I mean, you look at Varane. I mean, that, that yeah. obviously again that was a high-profile transfer, of course. But I, I, I think if you look at his record of obviously winning Champions Leagues, winning the World Cup. Um, you know, I think it was a guy in 2018. I think a lot of people were saying was going to win the Ballon d'Or. So to see him coming and and really be such a disappointing signing was was a real shock for me. I thought he was just so good he would have no problems settling into the Premier League, but he's been really really poor. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he does get on next year because last year was really poor and and the injury record as well. He was you know missed a lot large part of the season for United with injuries. So um, you know maybe not obviously still a high profile transfer, but. A very, very poor one.
0: Now, we shouldn't forget the men in the middle, and with Mike Dean now retiring, do you reckon, Jamie, he deserves a Lifetime Achievement Award, or as an official, will you be glad to say <laughs> goodbye to him?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say, I'll be honest, I, I'm probably glad to see the back of him. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I think the thing for referees, you know, they are there to officiate the game, and I don't like referees that kind of like to make it all about themselves. I think he's certainly he's, he's a good referee, and, you know, he's obviously got a very strong character, and obviously in those high pressure situations it's it's very difficult for refs because being in the premier league you know having 30,000 fans on top of you having the players on you it's it's not a very diff- it's a very difficult job um so to maybe have that character that he does probably does help him but i think you know the best refs are usually the ones that don't always try to make it about themselves and uh, mike dean certainly a character that does like to make it all about himself so Probably best to see the back of him, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think the best referees are the ones that go unnoticed. You know, if you sort of don't really worry about the referee, they've had a good day on the field. Whereas Mike Dean liked to make it about himself a bit too much. Yes, it's good for a social media clip or two, but really just focus on the referee. I know him and Pochettino had that very verbal spat at Turf War. I'd love to know what was said, but it seemed to have almost broken the Argentine after that. So who knows? But Mike, thanks for everything, but we're not going to give you an award this time around. Which means, finally, Jamie, this one is as open-ended as you like. Simply, what was your best moment of the season? Even if it's a Tottenham-related prize, mm. what put the most joy on your face?
1: Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my Tottenham hat off for of this one. I'm going to look elsewhere. I'm going to go for, actually, the final day of the season. I just think, going into that, I think it's been a long time since we've had almost everything to play for. Um, and, of course, on that final day, everything was to play for. Of course, we had the drama of the title race. I mean, you had... You know, City going 2 0 down. I mean, at that point, it was just like, unbelievable. Um, you know, it looked as though Liverpool might pull off the impossible, even though I think they were drawing against Wolves at the time. Um, so you had the real drama in the title race. You of course had the battle for the top four uh, going on, and then of course at the bottom, you had the you know the incredible achievement of Leeds staying up. I think everyone kind of expected them to go to Brentford and, and not get a result because Brentford at the time were were playing fantastically well but they went and won. And of course, you know, Burnley didn't get the result they needed either at home, which I think, again, people were saying Burnley being at home, they'd be able to get that result, but they didn't. Um, so I just think how much drama there was on that final day, um, I, I think it was for sure it was that, that the final day I'm going to give it to us, as moment of the season.
0: Yeah, I think the scriptwriters did us very well on the final day. You couldn't ask for anything more, really, could you? My input, I guess I'll go with something a bit more general. I'll go with the season as a whole and stadiums in full voice. After a season of closed doors, I think it was great just to see fans celebrating. Now, I know fans went a bit too far towards the end and everyone loves a pitch invasion, but when it gets silly, you know, we've kind of crossed the line, unfortunately. But if you kind of look at the first eight months of the season, I think just support being back and just everyone enjoying football again just made the union football that little bit better. I know we kind of meshed through it and struggled through it during COVID and lockdowns and so on and so forth, but... Just for everyone to be back and supporting their teams and doing the same next season, I think is a great time for football. Right, Jamie, that brings us to full time. So I just need to do the admin. As mentioned before, if you're betting this week, make sure to visit the Free Bets website. And now I just need to thank my top guest. Jamie, thanks for your time and handing out some awards with me.
1: No, my pleasure, Dan. Of course, you know, obviously missing Premier League football already. I mean, it was an unbelievable season, obviously from a Spurs perspective, really happy that we're back in the Champions League. But yeah, obviously looking forward to it again. And uh, I don't think we've got too long to wait until the the season starts again. I think it's a little bit earlier this year. So uh, for me, it certainly can't come soon enough.
0: Absolutely. James is already on holiday. We're now going to take a couple of weeks off to rest and relax before a busy season ahead. We'll be back in July. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy, this is the Odds On Podcast, and until next time, goodbye.